Empower Radio presents Art as Worship with Vanessa Lowry. Welcome to Art as Worship. Each week we feature stories of artists and explore their process of creation. I'm your host, Vanessa Lowry, and I'm thankful that you're joining me. On this show, I talk with artists of various faiths, working in a wide range of mediums, on the common theme of how they use inspiration and creativity as an expression of their spirituality. Learn how their art is an expression of their own connection to however they name God, Jehovah, Allah, Source, the Universe, the Great Mystery, or something else. My hope is that these stories will inspire your creative efforts and your own spiritual expression. My guest today is wood-turning artist Matt Multhrop. Following in the footsteps of his father and grandfather, Matt turned his first bowl at the age of seven. Completing his B.A. at the University of Georgia and M.B.A. at Georgia Tech, Matt tried his hand at work in the nine-to-five world, but ultimately eased into wood-turning as a career, making him the third generation of Multhrop's to carry on the craft. Matt says that as a young adult, he learned that the artistry of wood-turning comes not from the hand, but from the eye. Being able to see the shape of the bowl has been a legacy and a gift he's tried to approve upon with his vision and version of style, form, and texture. His art has been displayed in galleries and museums around the country, including the Smithsonian Institute, Renwick Gallery of the National Museum of American Art in Washington, D.C. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. Well, we're glad to have you with us today. So I usually ask artists how they got interested in their art, but it sounds like that you started learning yours as soon as you were out of the womb. (laughs) Not not that immediate, but I obviously was exposed to it through my family at a very young age. Um, there were five grandchildren in the family, and I was always very curious, interested in learning more and more about the technique and process of how they created the, their work, they as my father and grandfather, but just always had passion for it. and. That's kind of how the beginnings were formed. And I know your bio said that you did some other things before you decided to pursue this art as a career. What made you decide to go from going a more traditional route to coming back to woodturning as a career? More had, had more to do with the, I guess, I didn't believe I could make a living at it. And that part of the reason why I had fallback plans uh, for education and potentially another career. My wife is an attorney, and she was willing to support the venture or endeavor in the beginning. And that's, uh, you know, this that family support is really what led to the this path or the success of, of my career. So have you been able to collaborate with your dad or your grandfather on any of the work that you've done? My grandfather, no. I was um, essentially learning through those years more formatively, and that was, uh, he passed away in 2003 and uh, never really collaborated. I did work with him and on some of his pieces, uh, but never uh, a joint collaboration. And with my father, never a direct collaboration on an individual piece. We We've participated in some design projects with furniture, but in terms of creating one-of-a-kind sculptures, we've never collaborated um, technically on the same piece. We collaborate more in ideas and sharing um, techniques, processes, thoughts, those sorts of things, not 
not necessarily the, the hands-on is what people would view as a collaboration. So when you're getting ready to start a piece of wood art, what is the process for that? Do you just start cutting away, or is there something else that happens before before that? So in the the artistry of wood turning begins basically with the log or the chunk of wood. And what you want to do, ideally, is read the log and see what's in the pattern. What do you... What do you have that's going to be of interest? And the work we create is a revelation process. It doesn't have, we don't enhance it. And so we're only revealing what God's created in a sense. It's not an enhancement um, or an embellishment. So I'm limited to what nature creates. And then at that point, how can I, I'll use the word manipulate, what the material there to best reveal what has been created in nature and that is the challenge in what I do and so I'm constantly looking for uh, new colors, new patterns, anything that's unusual and everything we work with is natural in in that it's um, uh, wood being a natural material so So do you go in with with the thought in mind that this is going to be a bowl? Or this is going to be a vase. It, well, you do because in being limited by what nature has given you, there I think there is a um, sometimes a better or worse re- kind of revelation and process in, in, in creating the form. And so some patterns do show up better in some shapes than others, and that's part of the um, the, the process. So I, I do kind of read the log, read the pattern in the wood, and see what. What would be the best? What would be the most interesting shape in revealing what's in the core of this tree? So do do folks come to you and commission you to create particular pieces for them? They do, and that's um, one aspect of what I what I create is um, uh, trees that came from a, a family's land. Um, trees that were significant to people or a place or an institution. I've done um, trees of historical significance um, uh, from around the world, actually. I've done... uh, And then pieces I create just out of my own viewing usually come from just logs that have spectacular color or patterns or they were kind of an anomaly in nature, whether they were very giant, you know, uh, for instance, a, a giant vine is always of interest because it's, it's very unusual. And then uh, other species of tree that you wouldn't think anything could be made from. I'd never thought of someone taking a, a tree that was special to them and then having an artist create a piece of work from that. Is Is there a certain way that they need to cut that tree or preserve that tree if, if someone like you is going to then create a piece of art from that from that wood? Not necessarily. I'm not particular about it. Um, if you leave a log outdoors, it eventually will rot and decay. But I can create a piece from a tree that's been freshly cut up to a couple years outdoors. If it's brought indoors, the wood will dry out and the piece can be created from that you know, indefinitely. There's no expiration on that. And so I've created pieces that, you know, this 2,000-year-old uh, 
wood from New Zealand that was dug out of the ground or, you know, a thousand-year-old log that sunk to the bottom of a lake in the United wow. States. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's really endless. Um, and then in terms of kind of memorializing something, you know, the, they I get free, I guess, free will from uh, the people commissioning me on what I want to create from it in terms of um, what I think would be the most aesthetically pleasing piece to, from their tree. And so, you know, I've always honored to, you know, participate in that. Um, and I get, you know, some really interesting projects from those. Well, I know with some pieces of art, you know, the artist would go in with sketches or give them ideas, but it sounds like with your art that you have to actually kind of start on the wood before you know what it's, how it's going to come about. In, in some cases, um, for the most part, there are some uh, uh, being turning. Most of the work I do is, is, is turning. I do some sculpture outside of the turning, but majority of it, what I'm recognized for, my family's recognized for, is more the uh, spherical forms, which, you know, uh, whether it's a, a globe or a, a spear down to an ellipsoid um, on the geometrical range. And within those forms, those are probably the most... Uh, I guess the ones that people recognize or like the most, and that's usually what they've envisioned for me to create from that. So how does your spirituality find expression in your art? I think it it's the, the driving passion behind what I create, and I think that um, it, it is a very strong motivation. Um, being a natural material that God's created, I think, you know, it's very, it's very humbling because it's always uh, um, uh, amazing. I'm, there's something always new and, and uh, overwhelming, and it's it's very much um, a part of the creative process. Well, and I know I got connected to you from from another artist that I actually had on the show, and she mentioned to me that she had had a tree in her backyard that she had to cut down and she had called you to come and see if you wanted it and it was a piece of wood that you wanted. Do you find that that's a, the way you get a lot of your wood? Some. Um, if for a specific commission, that works really well. If it's something, if people offering me wood, typically we get the material from uh, some of the larger tree companies because they're cutting such volume. And where I live here in the south, Trees are abundant, and it's you know it's you know it's a crop essentially in Georgia, and so we don't have a shortage of it. And what I'm looking for is so specific, so unique that people will sift through thousands of logs before there's one I might be interested in, and it'd be one piece from one log out of a thousand trees. So it's not it is a pretty narrow um, niche that I'm looking for within it. So I have a vision of somebody going to a fabric store and looking through the remnant tray, but it sounds like yours is much more involved in that if you have to look through entire logs at a time. And, and I do. And, and it, the people who who bring us wood, um, that we've worked with them for, you know, someone for decades, and they know, they don't envision what we're going to create from it, but what they can see is that it's, it, it's not normal. It, it's unnatural or it's... Uh, it, it's uncommon. And a lot of the trees 
that we seek out outside of commission work are the ones that are can be diseased or decayed. They've been hit by lightning. A lot of you know naturally occurring factors that have damaged them, and so that can be the most interesting material. So you actually incorporate some of the damaged part into the into the artwork. Exactly, and that can bring out the most in, uh, interest in these pieces because uh, clean, healthy wood can be boring in a sense, and you see it a lot. I mean, that's typically what you'll see your oaks and cherries and walnuts. They, when they're clean and healthy, you see them in flooring and furniture, and you can match a cherry board from Georgia to a cherry board in Pennsylvania to Washington. It looks the same. That's part of why this wood's were used and the density and consistency and the colors but we work with wood that's considered trash in a lot of cases and we work with we do work with cherries but there usually has to be a story behind it you know do you have a favorite kind of wood that you like to work with it's hard i, I don't necessarily have a favorite um there's some that are uh least favorites um at times um but um one of my least favorite woods to work with is dogwood. And a lot of people don't know this. Dogwood is uh, one of the most dense woods in North America. And it's much harder than oak or cherry or walnut. And it's spectacularly beautiful wood. But it's hard to find it large, as um, is written in the scripture. And it can crack on you very badly. So you can create a beautiful piece out of it, and it splits in half. And so it's one of the most challenging, but I find myself coming back to it, you know, every year, and I'll make a new piece out of it, And but I don't get that many pieces from it, just because it's, it is terribly difficult to work in, and it's hard to find one large enough to have interest. So are there different parts of the country that have, that grow larger dogwoods than we do here in Georgia? No, we, um, we typically can match, um, I think, the size of a dogwood anywhere in in the world. Um, obviously, by zone, trees do vary um, more more by species than size. So you'll see what we have here. Um, we have more varietal of trees in the southeast because of the climate. It's more humid. It's like a greenhouse, and there's a tremendous variety to choose from. That helps with what I do, and that's part of what. I think I initially started my grandfather in the process with, you know, being wanting to be a wood artist, a wood turner. Having such a, a vast uh, choice is, is very helpful. Other parts of the, the country, you know, they have similar trees, not the same variety, though. So do you have any kind of a process that you use when you're getting ready to to work on your art to help you get into the creative flow or to connect with the divine? Part of it's just trying to read the colors, the patterns, and the character of the wood. And you have one shot, in a sense, on each piece to reveal it in a form that would be the most spectacular and it's that is probably the the hardest challenge in in trying to connect with the material you know is trying to line everything um so it does come out perfectly and you, you don't feel like you've missed 
you know, the beauty that nature was creating versus what you're trying to create from it. So when you're creating a piece, are you able to do it all at one time, or is it a per- over a period of sessions or days? No, pieces take um, quite some time. Uh, some pieces can take up to five years. Some, wow. Some take, you know, uh, at the minimum, I could create a piece in probably three months. The part part of it has to do with the material because being wood, it's it's a natural material, and so when if wood is fresh, it's full of water. It's like a sponge, and not to get too scientific on it. When the water leaves the log the cells collapse, causing cracks and wedges. And so you either have to work outside the pith or stabilize it. And if you go through a treatment process and stabilize the wood, and and it's a, it's a very hard, let's take oak for an example. Everyone knows an oak tree. And you, you do a large oak piece, and it has to go through treatment. It could... You know, if it's a 30, you know, inch diameter piece, it could take easily, you know, three years at the minimum to treat and dry something like that. It would take a week to rough form it. And then um, at that point, it's really going through treatment and drying because you want it to thoroughly treat so it doesn't crack. And then you want it to not dry too quickly so it maintains its stabilization. And then the finishing process takes about, you know, two, two and a half months. So when you're working on pieces, are you working on multiple pieces at the same time that are in different steps of the process? I am, and it's a continual process, so I always have works going on, and some I've abandoned. Some probably are taking 10 years, but that's just because <laughs> I, they've either just, you know, they beat me down and I haven't wanted to finish them, or um, things of other interest are greater. Uh, beauty has, has shown up, and that's my focal point to finish. So I know that... Um that artists get ideas in different ways. I'm curious how your art, how your ideas come to you, and how you decide which ideas you're going to pursue. I guess the ideas they really are in the material. I mean, it's more about revealing what's already there than it is me trying to, you know. M- enhance it in any way so then it's kind of repeating that but it's the ideas are, are in nature i guess is where i'd find the source and um it's been and part of that challenge is finding new and interesting things uh, in nature For, uh, you know i one interesting project i did was I made a coffee table out of poison ivy vines, and that was a tremendous challenge. And there was a, a danger factor and risk element involved. But I was going to say, how did you keep from getting poison ivy the whole it, time? <laughs> it was it was very difficult. It was tricky, and that was um, part of the challenge. And then the surprising thing f- from creating this coffee table, and I, I laid the vines out onto a. Um, uh, a form and I, uh, like a mold and I, I poured a resin into it casting a slab and then and the vines were big they were you know two to th- four inch thick poison ivy vines and the, the anyways when once I fabricated what would be a wood slab from laying the vines out I'll I'll send you a picture of it um, that'd be great 
they once it was I approached it like a single slab of wood and cut both sides, and then I used a, a marine epoxy actually cast encasing the entire tabletop, so it's safe because you know our skin. Very susceptible to that. I was going to say, somebody would have that in their house and rub up against it and have poison ivy all exactly. the time. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the other, one of the other elements to it is, is it really, it's not our skin, it's really our lungs when you shave the, the dust from those. Um, but I had someone help me with that who's not allergic, and, and we, we lived through the process, at least I did. Um, he wasn't allergic, so he did great. But um, we all took, we did take a lot of precautions. But, the most fascinating thing, because it, it is kind of a, a vilified wood in a sense, and it was spectacularly beautiful. The had, grain had life and color and character, and it was really interesting. And it was one of a kind. In, in my research to create it, I couldn't find anyone who had done anything with it before. And and then of the people I talked to, they thought it was crazy, but it worked. And it was a, a really unique piece. So do you think you'll do some other things with poison ivy vines? I'd like to. Um, part of the challenge, again, is finding them large enough. Um, and then. We do grow them big here in Georgia, though. We, we can find, <laughs> yes, they're, they're there. Um, and part of them, you know, they have permission to have them cut. And, um, but cutting and harvesting the vines is a whole other challenge from creating the table. And so it's. But I most definitely would like to. I think it's a, something that's rather unique. And, and oftentimes overlooked as uh, a material. Well, and I, I know from looking at your website and looking at your bio that part of your training process was an apprenticeship. Do you have any folks that are working under you that you're teaching this art as well? At this time, I don't. Um, but that's not to say I, I wouldn't. And um, my wife and I just, we had our, we have two children. I have a six-year-old daughter and a uh, six-month-old son. Wow. <laughs> so You get your hands full. <laughs> we, yes. And uh, do I look that tired? <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, but we do. And, and, you know, I love to teach them the fundamentals and basics of, of wood turning and whether they pursue it as a career will kind of fall on, be up to them. Uh, because you, you have to love the work. You cannot. So there's a lot of it that is innate that can't be taught. And that's um, part of why I do feel blessed and gifted at what I do. Because it wasn't. There's only so much you can show or teach somebody. And the other part, they're on their own to take it and run with it or, you know, not, not have the passion for it. Well, and I saw that you um, created the Governor's Award this year, that you actually created the awards for the uh, Governor's Award for the Arts and Humanity, and that your dad was one of the recipients for 2012. He did, and that was, that was quite a That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, was, I was approached um, by Karen Patey, the uh, Executive Director of the Georgia Council for the Arts, um, a couple months before the... Um, I guess the, the the process or the nominations have been turned in, so I don't. I didn't even know that he was even being considered, and uh, that was kind of a neat opportunity. You know, the only they just wanted native Georgia pieces, um, and so that was a you know I was honored to be, participate with that. And now I'm working on a piece um, from an oak tree from the governor's mansion's property at. Uh, off West Paces that will go back 
Um, it'll be in honor of Governor Nathan Deal, and they'll go back into the uh, governor's mansion. Oh, that's wonderful. So it's kind of a neat, neat opportunity to get a, uh, a tree from their property. So what are some of the small pe- smallest pieces you work on, and what are some of the largest pieces that you work on? Smallest piece um, I've ever done would probably be about the size of your thumb, and it was a more <laughs> ornamental piece for a dollhouse for my daughter. And the smallest piece I turn for a gallery or uh I usually try to do them around between four and six inches, um, and there's, and then the largest piece, uh, largest piece I've ever done, I think probably in the thirty-inch diameter range, four, four foot high range. Um, I believe the largest piece I've ever done in Cal is in a collection in California. Um, I'm trying to think, the largest one. In Georgia. I can't think of the one largest one in Georgia. It sounds like quite a range, though. It, it's tremendously, and, and each of them have their own set of variables in creating the works because the largest ones have actually a danger factor because they're so large you can get injured from the piece. And then when you start getting down to those really miniature sizes, they're ornamental, and you're really stressing the material so much that they can shatter. And I don't. I do probably the least on the on on both ends of the spectrum. More, you know, as a bell curve would look like. What is the average piece in size? And you know, it would probably range from, you know, between ten and twenty inches in diameter. So, Matt, how has your art affected your spiritual evolution, or how has your spiritual evolution affected your art? I think my. Well, it's a, it's a tough question, and I think that it's uh, my 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 art is has more affected my I guess that's a time. I guess nature and my spirituality um, has been more affected by what I see out there in in nature. It sounds redundant, but I'm always humbled by what because I view us as all of God's creatures and I think that I'm I'm never cease to be amazed by what's new or what's next it's always been there and that's always humbling to me and I never lose sight of that and I do consider myself as a as a Christian I was raised in the Presbyterian Church um and my wife, uh, she's a Methodist, so, but I think view them both in a similar fashion. But in terms of the spirituality, it, it really it's it is humbling to see what nature, the power of nature and God, has created out there, and that's part of what drives me. Is, what will be, you know, my next challenge or newest thing, and what uh, I'm always amazed what you can find inside of uh, his creations, in a sense. Well, and is there any type of wood that you would like to work on that you haven't had a chance to work with yet? That's a good question. I <laughs> haven't pondered that one. Um, 
I would say um, someone. I don't know. I, it's, that's a tough one. I mean, I always uh, when, when I kind of when people ask me to scan things. When I look through someone's you know yard or their property, or when we're traveling in different parts of the of the country or the world. You know, I'm, I'm kind of reading the forest and reading things and seeing stuff that that is growing and dying and falling and, and and stuff that's you know emerging and and so I'm always looking for something new that hasn't been thought of or used and I think part of it I guess you know I'd like to do as a project as an artist I guess one thing I'd like to do is try to create pieces from d- different locations of significance in this country or you know in, in the world but you know it's like I'd love to do a series from say Central Park or Yosemite or Anywhere that has a significance um, has greater meaning than just the material itself. It, you know, so I think it'd be a good collaboration with with nature and society to create a piece that ha- that had that kind of uh, heritage to it. I look forward to seeing when you get when you come out with those. That'll be interesting. Okay. So, Matt, tell our listeners how they can find out more about you and get in touch with you. Um. Website is multhurpstudios.com. And do you want to spell that for us, please? M-O-U-L-T-H-R-O-P-S-T-U-D-I-O-S.com. And if you just Google search Multhurp or three generations of woodturners, our name typically shows up. And there's, there's lots of things for you and your, and your dad and your grandfather that come up. I know you also mentioned there was a PBS special that people can find, and we'll link it to the, to the website as well. Great. Thank you. Well, Matt, thank you so much. Is there any last thing you'd like to leave our listeners with about how they can express their own creativity and connect that to their spirituality? That's... um, Just finding the beauty of, of nature is sometimes all that's necessary. Excellent. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. And thank you to our listeners. I welcome your suggestions or comments on this or any of our shows. You can find links to all of our shows on Empower Radio and on our website, artasworship.net. Please come share your stories of Art as Worship on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash artisworship. Listen in next week as we talk with another artist about their creative process and how it connects with their spiritual journey. May you have an inspired and creative week. Namaste. Namaste.